Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. This is an Army veteran who I've been doing business with for the last three years, and he has helped me so much with the show, behind the scenes and even out in front. It's Mr. Adam Bird of the Heroes Media Group. And, you know, listen to this show because he's got a lot of great advice at the end. Uh, his story is uh, is a good story, and it's one that needs to be told. And I'm humbled and honored to have him on the show. And I thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio. Thank you. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. You gotta light them up. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio. Audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, is an Army veteran, somebody I should have had on the show like years ago. As a matter of fact, I met him years ago in Dallas at the Military Influencer Conference, and we hit it off right away. This is a guy that has helped me behind the scenes with Straight Out of Combat and a host of other things. This is a guy that will call you when you are in the foxhole suffering. His name is Mr. Adam Bird. He is the founder and creator of Heroes Media Group. He pushes hard. He he is a guy that you want on your team. And all I can say is, is he's always there for you, and he's always been there for me. And I welcome him to the show this morning. Hey, Adam. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. You know, I could go into a long dissertation about your biography and all the good things that you've done and continue to do, but I want to hear it from you. You know, let's just dive right into it. Tell us a little bit about the the Adam Bird household growing up. Oh, growing up. Wow. You, you, <laughs> you <laughs> and make me peel back some layers right away, huh? You know, I, I grew up, was born and raised in Wisconsin, spent the majority of my childhood in Wisconsin, uh, graduate, and then we moved to Arizona. Uh, my stepdad, to me, to me, he's dad, got a job down there. And uh, so I graduated high school there. And then, uh, you know, from, from there, high school was, was a little tough. I wasn't, you know, um, it was kind of a loner and a uh, new area. And I think a lot of it was just kind of rebelling because I didn't want to leave Wisconsin. That's where all my friends and family were. Had no direction, didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I ended up joining the Army National Guard in Arizona, and I spent uh, just just short of nine years uh, with the Guard from like 98 to 2007. Uh, did a deployment in 03. Did you have any lineage in your background? Did you have any military? I mean, who were your mentors? You just did that on your own or you had somebody to look up to? Growing up, I didn't, I didn't know. My grandfather was in Korea. My uncle graduated from West Point. So there was there was that. I honestly, at the time, you know, this would have been you know 19, 20 years old around that time. I was kind of against the military. Like I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, do anything. And 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 a good friend of mine just happened to be a recruiter, and we we played pickup basketball three nights a week. And he's like, "What are you gonna do?" And I was like, "I don't know, man." He's like, "Why don't you join the guard?" And I was like, "Sure, why not?" I needed a job, so. And I didn't want to do the everyday yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. So I was like, I'm going to get the best of both worlds. I can do something on the weekend and then still, you know, do business and, and that kind of a thing uh, during the week. So, 
when you got away, before we get to Iraq, where did you go to boot camp at? And, and what was that like for you? I went to uh, Fort Leonard Wood and, and I left the day after Easter. And it was very eye-opening for me because I'd never had anybody and never really been away from anybody before my family. Like I was always within like four hours from everybody. Now I'm in a completely different state. I got nobody, no support system around me. And I didn't really have much of a support system at the time anyway. So it, it was different. I had a heart that was, it was very eye-opening, but it was, you know, I look back on it, like thinking, man, going through it, it kind of I felt like it sucked because I just didn't know what to expect and it was just different. But now looking back on it, that's probably the greatest thing that, you know, at the time in my life, that's probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Let me ask you this, Adam, you know, everybody's got a story to tell, but you know, can you think of one instance in boot camp that it was like an aha moment and you went, Holy heck, this is real or, or, you know, a moment like that. Can you think of one? I know you probably got several, but, you know, share with us one of those stories from boot camp. Like an aha moment, like holy crap, this is really <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, like what have I done? Or or the, the, yeah. the shark attack, like right when you get off the cattle truck and and you got somebody yelling at you, and you're just like, what is going on? Okay, I got it. So it was that same day. It was <laughs> we were reporting. We we just got off the cattle trucks and they're doing our you know your smoke session whatever. And for lunch earlier that day, we had they given us hot dogs, and I remember two people to my right guy, he threw up half a hot dog. And one of the drill sergeants came over, picked up that half eaten hot dog that he threw up, shook it off and ate it. And, and at that, I had never seen anything. I never even heard of anything like that at that time in my life. And I was just like, Holy shit. This is really <laughs> That's like, Oh, this is not, no, 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 no. This is going to be a long, long eight weeks, nine weeks, whatever it was. Uh, that's hardcore man right there. It, it was just like and he, he kept he you know at the time he had that the ranger tab and of course i didn't know what that was at the time you're just like oh that guy's kind of a badass other than being a uh a drill sergeant and it was like he's willing to take a half-eaten hot dog that was just thrown up laying on the ground picks it up shakes it off and eats it and you're just like oh that's yeah what did i get myself into oh man that is that's one good story but uh I've heard some, but that one takes the cake, man. I mean, or takes the hot dog, you know, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a killer story. But uh, so, you know, you go through eight weeks of basic, you're going through this transformational period, man, you know, molding you into becoming a soldier. You know, when you graduated from boot camp, was there anybody there? And and, and how did you feel, man? Uh, pride. I mean, it was, it was my confidence level was, I grew up with a low self-esteem. So this was kind of a huge confidence builder for me. It's the first thing in my life at that time where I didn't quit. Uh, you know, in high school, I, I quit all my sports. I wasn't good. It's, I kind of just gave up on everything. It just, like I said, no sense of direction. So this was the first thing that I, that really kind of like, wow, I, you know, I can do this and, and to be part of, of that, um, brother and sisterhood of, of people that not everybody in the, you know, can do this. And, and we saw a lot of people in the first week wanted to go home. They, they got put on suicide watch. Like, I can't deal with this. I want to go. So they ended up booting them out and, and to get through it was, was, was pretty cool. You know, my mom came down, my grandparents, I'll never forget. My grandparents drove down from Wisconsin. Nice. Uh, for, and that was that was a big deal because I'm very close to my uh, my my grandparents, 
Um, and then my uh, girlfriend that I had at the time uh, came out with my mom. So nice, man. So, so then the next step in the process, where'd you go to AIT? Stayed there, had a three day pass and, and, and just moved down the street a little bit. I, I was a uh, uh, transportation. So at the time, 58 trans company was, was, they did all the transportation stuff there at that time. I spent another six weeks uh, going to transportation school and that, that was like walk in the park. You get up in the morning, do PT, eat breakfast, march down in the motor pool and you, you know, sit in a truck for, you know, three quarters of the day. And, and it got so hot in the summer there's they had cat fives every, I don't know, it felt like every other day. So, I mean, you drive for about an hour and then you'd have to pull over and go sit in the shade and drink a bunch of water for an hour and a half before you get back in the trucks and drive some more. And, you know, it was like, we went around these tracks, took all day. These tracks were maybe 15 miles long. If that, I don't know how long they were, but yeah. it felt like they took forever. And, and, uh, you go around twice and, and that was your day. <laughs> I gotcha. You know, I can remember AIT. I went to Army Chemical School at McClellan, right? And the interesting thing was it was a little bit different. You know, it was almost, it seemed like harder, especially than it was, you know, in, in basic training. But I can remember at the end of the uh, of the period of the training when people were getting their orders and all the National Guardsmen and Army Reserve were going home. Yeah. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, now I'm going to Fort Carson. I'm like, holy crap. I could have signed up for the Guard or for the Army Reserve. I don't know if I can do more years of, of a life like this. So you guys are the guys that I envied, the guys that were in the Guard and the Reserves. And uh, yeah, I I, I can I, I hear you, Lima Charlie. You know, <laughs> And you know, for me at that time, I was seeing everybody that was going off. Like we had a lot of linguists that were going to, you know, uh, language school and, and a few you know, MI guys. And we had a lot of, a lot of MPs. I mean, at the time the MP, the new MP school, or, or at the time it was new, they were, the MP school for the army was just being built. When we, we did a day, two days where we had a, a detail out there at the new MP school as that was being built. When it was time to graduate and, and go, I was seeing everybody like, Hey, I'm going to Korea. I got this, I got that. And I was like, man, I was like, I wish I'd be, I wanted to do that. Instead, I wish I would have gone active duty. That's that's funny to hear you say that because you know we were, but there you go, man. We I wasn't communicating with the the reserve and guys and yeah, I hear you. You know, so it's interesting to, to, that we point that out. Yeah. So where's your so your duty station was back home in Arizona or Wisconsin? No, Arizona. Arizona. Okay, Arizona. Yeah, Arizona. So so you go back there and what was that like? What was the transition into that? What was it like being a weekend soldier or a monthly soldier? Really? Yeah. I remember my first drill. It was, <laughs> it was like what everybody says that the guard is like, you know, you, you go, you train and great people. And then afterwards it was just like, Hey, we're all going to go sit back and have a few beers or whatnot you know, at the end of the day. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. We can do that. <laughs> but, but that changed though. It changed when you got deployed to Iraq. Yeah, Iraq was was a little different. So, so if you when you fast forward to, to Iraq in two thousand and three, I had just recently had gotten married the summer before, and I got married to my first wife in, in two thousand and two, and had my son January twenty ninth of oh three. Right. And about ten ten days later, we got orders to go. So it was, it was very like. Oh, come on. Like I, like all my life, I, I wanted to be a dad and, 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 you know, here I was 24 getting ready to be turned 25 
and I got this, you know, my, my son was born. I'm like, yeah, I don't even know if I'm going to be around now, you know? So it, it was motivating, but at, at the same time, it was very kind of heartbreaking. Like I missed pretty much the first eight months of his life. I, I was there for him being born. And then I left like literally about 10 days later, I was gone. Hmm. So it was tough, but you, you do what you got to do. Did you understand the mission in Iraq? Tell us about Iraq. What was going on? And, you know, definitely a stark reality. Yeah, you're married. You have your first child. And then you're you're in a combat zone. You know, so, yeah. I don't really remember what. I mean, I remember I remember getting to country and, like, all of a sudden going to mop level four. Like, I'm standing on top of the plane, like, walking through the doors to come out. And they made us go to mop level four, like, right away. This is what I remember. And then, and then, uh, and that one for very long, I think it just come, you know, you got to clear pretty, pretty quickly. And then it was, uh, I think we were in country for like four days, five days, maybe. And they said, Hey, we need some volunteers. Can't tell you what you're doing. Can't tell you where you're going. And I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. Like I'll, yeah. I want to go. I volunteered and, and we got, you know, there was about 20 of us that got picked up by fifth group and, and I spent most of my time you know, the 20 of us rolled around with them, you know, for the first, I don't know, several weeks, few months that, you know, I was there. So it, it, we got to do a lot of, you know, cool things, you know, it, it just see a different type of the, you know, the special ops community and how they work. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, it's on a first name basis. You're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, you're going to have to. It just, it was like you had regular army and then you had the special ops community. And it was, you saw the difference between, uh, the two, but I remember, I remember going up to the DMZ and crossing into Iraq for the first time. It's like, you look down to the left and right and you could just on the berm, you could just see tanks and air defense artillery pieces, uh, lined up on the berms. And you're just like, wow, this is like, it's getting real. But then you got to the first, uh, first, um, little town and it was like, you were in a parade, like people were lining the streets and cheering and chanting and, waving American flags. And, and you were just like, wait a minute, what? This is not what I saw on TV. This is not what I was expecting. Like, it was literally like going through a parade. And then it got a little different as you as we got further north. I think our first checkpoint was um, Nazaria, which uh, we got there was about a week, week and a half after the, um, the whole Jessica Lynch thing. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. She was, she was in transportation, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. And so we get, we kind of saw the aftermath of that and that was a little, that was eye opening. And that was kind of like one of those, I don't want to say aha moments, but you like, you're seeing like American equipment flipped up and trucks flipped up and, and what, and you can't imagine what they went through. So you were there um, very early on. I mean, you were. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 March, beginning of April. Yeah. Before any of the surge and all that stuff, and it started to step up. So there was still kind of an exuberance by some of the people then. Oh, yeah, there, there was some. I mean, I think we we ended up in, like, we eventually made our way to Baghdad, and we were there about a week or two. At, I want to say a week or two after. And, I, and Don't quote me on the timelines. It's a little, little cloudy on the timelines. But it was like a week or two after uh, Third ID had, had taken the city and, and set up, you know, checkpoints around the city and and whatnot. Our job was, you know, at the time is, you know, we, we were bringing in the, uh, FIF, you know, the freedom fighters and, and kind of helping them set up checkpoints around the country and, and stuff like that. So, uh, it was, it was, it was different. It was definitely, definitely different. Um, yeah. 
And you think of, you know, while transportation in and of itself, you know, the big thing, I'm not sure early on if they were really worried about, you know, the ambushes, but that became a very critical job as we got more and more into the war. And we all know what IEDs did and, and those kinds of things. So, you know, every element of the fighting force is important to the overall mission. Can you think of, you know, one thing that happened in Iraq, maybe with a person or with a, you know, a local or that just stands out in your mind as one of, again, one of those aho moments that you described before? You know, I really tried to look at the positive side of it, as crazy as that may sound. Let's take Iraq for it. Okay, you take Iraq in that geographical area. I grew up going to church, so Iraq is a very biblical area, right? Right. And I, I looked like I stood in the house of it. Yep. And, and that I found peace in that, you know, uh, you know, I was I was near Babylon and, it, you know, which is just south of Iraq or excuse me, just south of Baghdad. I tried to find peace and, and stuff like that. I mean, you, you try to make light of a crappy situation to find comfort and wherever you can. Right. And for me, it was kind of like, man, I'm walking. I could potentially be walking on the sands that, you know, Jesus or, or Abraham once walked on. And, and, and you just I kind of thought about stuff like that. As far as like examples, I mean, it was, I was very surprised once I got to Baghdad at just how the architectural structures and how beautiful that city was. I mean, it was, it was very, there was a lot of places, some of these great big buildings and, and mosques and, and stuff like that. It was just a very kind of an at awe with it. You're just like, wow, this is something very different. And, and you could find the beauty within the crappy parts of it, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes absolute sense. So, you know, did you did you understand the mission? Did the people you worked with did, did you guys understand why you were there? When we were with the group guys, it was it was hey, this, you know, we're going to take these guys around, set up checkpoints, and, and you know, that was it. And that was you know, we we drive from point A to point B. They set up checkpoints. We just kind of let them do their thing, and, and we're here for you know for support. And and that was it. I mean, it wasn't uh, you know where there door kickings and stuff like that. There was some of that going on, uh, which was cool. Um, you know, we found. We went to a house and found a, a cache of weapons, which was really, really neat, and some air defense artillery pieces and stuff like that that, you know, we had to be a part of. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, it was my interpretation of the mission was we took these guys around to help them set up checkpoints to it to show that we're kind of giving the country back to them through these freedom fighters and letting them handle handle it. So we were there in case things got really, really bad. But, you know, there was, I don't know, 100 150 of these freedom fighters all equipped with AK-47s and we're just marching them around the, around the country, setting up checkpoints and trying to show that they're kind of, you know, taking the country back. So what was your contact with, you know, with your wife at that time? Were you able to, to have any kind of constant communication or not really? With group, I think I, I, I made a call on a, a satellite phone one night we had a media company that had a satellite phone and they gave us like two three minutes with our families and at that time it'd been i don't know probably three four weeks since i had talked to anybody in my family i think you know afterwards we had a uh when we got back and stopped running missions with group and got back to the national guard company it was it was like he had a little more downtime and you know you you could reach out to home if, if you wanted to it was hit or miss you know from what I can remember. Well, okay. So you, you did your tour there. How long were you in country? I was only in country for about four or five months and I, I came home early. 
so I had a situation back home that needed needed attention, and, and the army said uh, you can go home for two weeks or you can go home one way ticket. So I I said, can I sleep on it? And I went back and asked the guys in my tent, and they were like, dude, you're stupid if you don't take the one way. Well, so you went back home, took care of your business, and then was this at the end of your nine years, or what, what were you? It was uh, I still had about four years you know, left in four or five years left. I got back from Iraq, uh, and I became an instructor for a recruit training company. And it was basically like new enlistees that were getting ready to go to basic training. We taught them about, you know, drill and ceremony. We taught them like army customs and stuff like that. So when they went to basic training, they were already kind of prepared. That's pretty cool. So then I know a lot was going on. I know that you, the first marriage didn't work. And then you became a single father and all kinds of stuff. We don't want to go into that here, but you know, tell us a little bit about your transition and were you prepared to get out into the world? There was no transition at all, like like none. I, I got back from Iraq. My demob station was uh, Fort Bliss, and I was at Fort Bliss for about five six weeks. And I think out of the, that time, I was I didn't like I didn't know if I was supposed to go somewhere to check in to to like get a detail or, or something like that they're just, just hang out here until we come get you and it literally was like six about five weeks and then they, they came and got me and so hey, it's time to go home and i was like i've been in here for like five weeks like i didn't do anything i i sat in my room wow i did i did nothing I, you know i played video games and, and that was that was it there it was just like go to the stations get checked off hey you're back you got to turn this in great all right, we'll, we'll you know we'll come we'll come get you when you when it's time to go. And and when I got back to Arizona, it was you know went back started drilling on, on the weekends with uh, the new new company as an instructor. That was fun. I had a lot of fun doing that. But then when it was time, I think it was uh, Hurricane Katrina. I think right. The transportation company wanted to call me back to them, and I I wasn't living anywhere near there at the time, and I didn't have a family care plan. So I had about five months left on on my contract before I needed to re-enlist again. And I had planned on re-enlisting, uh, but I didn't have a family care plan. And they wanted me back and they wanted to take me. And and I didn't have anybody to watch my son. So I was like, I, I'm not going. I can't, I can't go. I don't have a family care plan. They're like, well, you need to. And I was like, well, there's a hardship. I'm more than 50 miles from the unit. Can I, you know, just stay down here and transfer units? And they're like, nope, we're, we're pulling you. And I was like, well, I'm getting out in five months. I will, you know, I, when I re-enlisted the first time, I got a enlist, re-enlistment bonus. And the other half of it was supposed to happen at the end of, of that particular enlistment. So I said, don't pay me my second half and I'm going to get out five months early, which would have put me at nine years. Right. Um, and um, they're like, all right. And the next day I was out. I mean, it was literally just like, boom. And... That was July of 2007, and it was just kind of like, <laughs> like out on was, the street, man. You know, and you were going through some stuff. I know that you're, you know, with the wife and and uh, the, the kid, and anyhow. So I, yeah, I just got sole custody of him. So I, 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 there was no transition at all. Not, you know, not a pat on the back. Not, I mean, not that I was looking for one per se, but I mean, it was. I think at that time in my life, God was telling me it was time to do something else. Would you do it all over again if you had to do it over? Yeah. I would. Okay. So you're out, you know, tell us about Heroes Media Group, you know, how you got to Heroes Media Group, how you founded it, how you, why you founded it. I know you've been at podcasting for a long time now. 
and I know that you also like to work behind the scenes, but, and it's tough to tell the story sometimes. I know it is usually, usually you're asking the question. So I am, it's, it's different being on this side of the microphone, I guess. I started in, in terrestrial radio. I got asked by a Vietnam vet to, to come on and talk about education benefits because at the time I was working for a, a big, uh, for-profit school and recruiting people to go, to, you know, enroll into school and get their education. And, and that one time turned into a couple times a month to every week. And eventually it got to a point where I was like, man, I can, you can't say certain things on regular radio. So I was like, well, I'm going to do this and, and, and whatnot on, on the internet. And I had a business partner at the time we got it served with, and uh, we, we had started a company and that lasted about three, three and a half years. And at the end of that had different views uh, of where we wanted to go. So we, we parted ways and we shut that company down. And the very next day I filed paperwork for Heroes Media Group. And the first company was based just on all veterans and, and Heroes Media Group was based on, I wanted to open that up to not only veterans, but to the Heroes community. So I look at Heroes as, or we look at Heroes as, you know, veterans, military, firefighters, first responders, educators, and there's a clergy piece in there as well. So, and that's kind of how it, it started. I took a couple of shows that were on the old platform, brought them over to Heroes Media Group, and we've been growing it since. That's awesome, man. You know what? You know, podcasting's changed a lot. You were, you've kind of started, you were there at the dark ages, and, and it's really become uh, extremely popular. There's a lot of podcasters out there. I know that we were just in Orlando at the PodFest. We've talked about podcasting for the last several years. You know, where, where do you see podcasting right now? And where do you see it going? And if you can think about three things that, that if somebody thinking about podcasting can do, what would they be? So where are we at? Where are we going? And what can a person considering being on a podcast, what can they do? So where we're at right now is, you know, podcasting started somewhere around 2004 or five timeframe, right? I think we're, we're not even at the tip of the iceberg with it yet. I still think, I've been saying this for the last probably four years, I think we're still four or five years ahead. And I keep pushing that out because it's, podcasting is just really starting to get really popular. It's been around for a while, but more and more people are starting to know about podcasting now. And you said, I, you know, I've been doing this since really the dark age. I started around 2010, 2011. So I've been doing this for almost a decade already. And I've seen it change leaps and bounds. I mean, it's so easy now to start a podcast and I'll get to that here in a second, but I, I think where it's going to go is I think eventually it's going to be the new norm. You know, terrestrial radio is dying. Satellite radio is starting to die out. More and more people are listening to podcasts every day. It's a billion dollar a year industry. And I, and I think you're going to start seeing more and more companies advertise with podcasts. And that's not something that you've really seen a whole lot of. You know, unless you're, you know, you're Joe Rogan's or Adam Carolla's, somebody that's got a big name. I think, I think just your average Joe, which is what I consider myself, is, is you know, I've had advertisers uh, on shows when I was pushing that. It it takes it takes some work to to go get advertisers for your show and stuff like that. It, it's you know, it, it can turn into a full time job. Uh, let's say I, I'm a I'm a lady or guy out there, and I'm considering I want to do a podcast. I got a, a great idea. What are three things that I can do to make that happen? First thing you got to do is, you know, come up with a name and and what it is that you want to talk about. 
you know, is it going to be an educational piece? Is it going to be just something for entertainment where you and your friends are cracking open a few beers or bottles of wine and just sit there and shooting the shit? I mean, which is fine. That's great. If, if, that, if it's just an entertainment piece, entertainment side of things, but write down, I, I challenge you to sit down and write down 10 topics that you want to talk about. And then under those topics, write subcategories under those topics that you would talk about and see if you can do a show for 30, 40 minutes, test yourself to see if you can talk about those things for 30, 40 minutes. The other, the biggest thing about people that, that want to start a podcast, most people are like, oh, I'm going to start podcasts. They think it's a great idea. Well, problem with that is that most people quit after like seven shows because they realize that it, it's like a part-time job. You know, you got to come up with show content. How do you know? And then there's like getting an audience. How do you, it's just the consistency side of things. So the first thing I would do is write down your ideas of what you want to talk about and come up with 10 topics that you would talk about. The second thing is do it. That's actually two and three because most people, they just sit there and talk about it. They won't do it. Go do it. Start it. It's so easy to start podcasts now. It's like you can literally take your smartphone because everybody's got them. There's a record button or a record app on your phone. Hit the record button and, and use the app on your phone and just start recording. Start talking. Go from there. You know, that's some good advice. And, you know, and it's so true that you mentioned about people get the idea. They do six or seven, eight shows, maybe 10. And then they realize that it does take real work. And, you know, nobody's going to listen to a show where the host or hostess is not interested in, in, in doing it. And you can tell that pretty quickly. Oh yeah. You can tell by a person's voice, you know, I, I'm, I'm like you, you mentioned earlier, I'm a behind the scenes kind of guy and you can get away with saying that because it's, we've known each other for a long time. I, more and more people try to get me on camera and, and, and whatnot. And it's, I'm okay with it. I'm just, I'm shy, believe it or not. Most people, I say that. No, not Adam Bird. No way, man. It's it, but it's true. You're I, like the I, most unshy guy I know. No, 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 no. I, I really am. It's, it's one of those things where, where, you start doing the shows. You, for me, I caught the bug. Had you asked me 12 years ago if I ever thought I'd be in the entertainment business or doing podcasts or anything like that, I would have laughed at you. You know, I'm a, I'm a business. I, you know, my background's in business, marketing, and and education. You know, I was a high school. I'm I'm a certified high school teacher in the state of Arizona. I spent the majority of my life in sales. You know, it, it's and here I am. I my everyday job, you know, job career whatever is is to run a. a I've created a, a media network that that's literally, I, you know, I've, I've taken no money from investors or anything like that. I, I have basically took a handful of dirt, rubbed it together and was hoping I could find a penny. And, and I've been growing it ever since. Well, it's working. You know, you've got lots of shows on Heroes Media Group. You know, we've been on there for, I guess, going on three years now. And we've got a couple of shows on there, actually, and probably going to do a lot more. I know that we're working together on something on a YouTube channel coming up, but let me ask you this, you know, what would you like, you know, the general public to know about uh, veterans and especially combat veterans, you know, cause you're a veteran owned company. And then what do you want veterans who may be in a bad place? What do you want them to know? I don't, that's a tough one, John. I, in fact, you're the first person that's ever asked me that. I, I would, I want to say that a lot of people think that, Oh, he's a veteran. So all of a sudden, there might be that that stigma about somebody being a veteran uh and and, and it, it's both you get a positive and negative i guess it depends on who you ask i i just say you know it, we're people too so don't i mean i 
most vets don't want to be treated any worse or, or any better. They're just, you just, know, we put our pants, we put our pants one on one leg at a time, you know, just like everybody else. Other veterans that are combat vets that are out there, you're not alone. There's plenty of people out here that'll listen. Uh, if you're going through, and, and, and I take that route because there's a lot of, of PTSD and, and, you know, stuff that's, that's going on. Um, and, it, and it breaks my heart every time I hear a veteran take his life with his own hands and, and whatnot. And it's always like, what, what could we have done or what can we do? And, and you see the, you know, let's bring awareness. The, the awareness is there. Now it's let's do something to fix the problem. And uh, I, I would say to our fellow brothers and sisters out there, if you're suffering or going through kind of a dark spot, reach out, you know, because we'll listen. Yeah, that's great advice and uh, can't say it enough. You know, you're not alone and, and, you know, we're here to help. So, you know, let me ask you this. Do you have a personal mantra, Adam, that you live by like every day? Maybe it's your own quote or some quote that sticks out in your mind. I, there, there used to be so many at a time and you put me on the spot. So I wasn't ready. I, you know, for me, I, I just, I just tell people to smile, like get up and smile. First thing you do before, before your feet touch the ground, when you get out of bed, before your feet even hit the ground, smile. Doesn't even matter what your day is like, what you're going through in life. Cause it's a new day. One, you woke up and you got something to be thankful for right off the bat. Smile and just put yourself in a positive mindset. The world is crazy. <laughs> as crazy as the world is, especially right now, you got a lot to be thankful for. And um, I would just say, you know, be thankful and try to be, be positive. Great advice. You know, I've, I read somewhere one time where a smile takes like, you know, 10 muscles to use. And then I read where a frown takes like 50 muscles to use. Yeah. And and the smile can light up a room and somebody's attitude like right away and a frown is just lowers everybody's, you know, vibrational state. So great advice, Adam. You know, let me ask you this, man. Yeah. What does freedom mean to you? I would say freedom means that you, you kind of get the joys to do kind of what, what you want, when you want uh, to, to, to an extent. You know, you know, I mean, I understand there's got to be rules in place and, and whatnot, but but freedom is is being able to take your dogs for a walk out in the country and not not whenever you want without having to ask somebody's permission for it. But freedom is quitting your corporate job to start a company when you have no idea what you're about to do. So you don't have to ask somebody's permission to go to your kids football games. Yeah, that was my biggest thing for, for me was that having that freedom. I being a single parent, that was important to me. I, I, I didn't know how or what was going to happen. I just knew I wasn't going to ask somebody else's permission to go to my son's events. That's awesome. You know, I asked that question to quite a few people and I always get quite a few different answers and they're all very meaningful, you know, speaking of dogs and I'm going to bust Adam out, but you know, when I lost my dog in February, Adam was one of the guys out there who called me up to make sure I was okay because, you know, he's an avid dog owner and lover himself. And uh, I just got to say, you know, thank you for doing that. It meant, meant a lot to me. And what it proved to me is that there's still real people out there and Adam Bird's one of them. You know, how can people get in touch with you, find out more information about Heroes Media Group? What do they need to do, Adam? And, and how can they get in touch with you to find out more? You know, to find out more about Heroes Media Group, you can go to www.heroesmediagroup.com 
Um, you can find me personally on, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn at Mr. Adam Bird, you know, reach out and, uh, you know, I'd be happy to help anybody that I can. My, I, I found that my purpose in life is, is to help. I want, I want to change as many lives as I can for the better. Well, uh, you, my, my job is to help people get to where they want to go. Well, you've been doing it, you know, in, in high fashion. And, you know, Mr. Adam Bird of Heroes Media Group, Army veteran. Let me ask, what's your greatest hope for the future? That people shift their mindset from the negativity that's going on in the world or, and, and they, they, start, they start seeing things for what it is. Stop, stop watching the news. Stop watching mainstream media. Stop, stop doing all that stuff and, and do your own research and, and look. Take time to educate yourself. And more importantly, uh, have a positive mindset. I think I think you you can change the world by having a positive mindset. If you think you can change the world, you just you know, I I thought I could change the world, and I'm crazy enough to think that I can do that. And and a decade later, I'm starting to see some of that with people. Well, you've definitely you know you've been walking the path of success, and uh, my life has truly been blessed. And you know, you allow me the opportunity to be free and to to exercise those uh, rights that I don't take for granted. And all I can say is thank you for being on Straight Outta Combat Radio. Thank and, you. Uh, look forward to our next conversation. There you have it, Mr. Adam Bird of Heroes Media Group. Check him out. If you're a podcasting, if you're aspiring to be a podcaster, Adam is a guy that has taught me a lot of things about podcasting. I still consider myself learning all the time. And, and he will work with you. He's patient. And he's just a great American. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. I appreciate it, John. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Save us all. Down.